worship and hearing the words of this song.
Welcome to worship this morning, whether you're here in person or streaming live online. Uh, we are glad you, that you've made it out today on this beautiful morning. Hear these words from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Fusion. Both those of you are here in person and those watching online. Uh, please stand and worship with us. Let's sing it out this morning. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. It's on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on. Mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. You of lightning, rolls of thunder, blessing and honor, strength and glory and power be to you the only wise King. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is 
awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. Oh, holy, holy, holy is the You may be seated. Good morning. So good to be worshiping together again, as Joan said and Matt said, whether you are here in person or out there in virtual land, we are here together, united. Um, Holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty. Amen. Amen to that. So, I would like to begin our time of prayer by reading a few verses from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Amen. And with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Almighty God, our God of angel armies, as we approach you already in praise and in song, we join in celebration as we proclaim that this is the day which you have made, which you have set aside very much on purpose. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our desire is to be enveloped in your presence and to honor this day through rest and reflection, creative fellowship, and the hearing of your almighty word. Today we pause to reflect upon Orphan Sunday. We can't help but thank you, Father, for the many individuals and families who continue to give tirelessly of themselves as they welcome adoptive and foster children into their homes. We know that all children, all children deserve to be in a home where they feel loved and cared for, a safe place to be nurtured and guided and 
because they matter to you, Jesus. They matter to us, too. Help each person here find a way to show support, whether through actual adoption or giving the support of time and or financial resources. Today, we as a church especially pray for a young man named Raymond. May he know that he is loved by you, God, and that we pray boldly, believing and expecting that even right now, at this moment, you are preparing a home for him, a loving home to welcome him. Maybe that family is even in the midst amongst us right now. Merciful Father, we also approach you with humble hearts and we confess how we have strayed from you like lost sheep. We confess that we have given in to the ways of the world, falling prey to the temptations of the evil one. Amidst the confusion of our world, we have offended our neighbors, we have offended our friends and our coworkers, we've offended our families, and we have offended ourselves. But most of all, we have offended you. We recognize our spiritual poverty and our need of a savior. We come to the cross today and every day to receive mercy and grace and forgiveness. Restore a right spirit within us, one that craves unity and peace and justice and love and forgiveness. And continue to sanctify us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Because of your compassion and your grace, Lord, we confidently bring those before you who are sick, troubled, grieving, or in distress. Each of us here has our own burdens, especially in this season of uncertainty, whether they're mental, emotional, or physical, and we're all fighting some spiritual battles. Grant us what we need to overcome and stand in the victory we have in Christ. In particular, we intercede on behalf of those battling cancer. There are many across our campus. We give thanks for the life testimony of Hardaway's oldest member, Jean, how her legacy will continue to spur others to live for Jesus. We know there are some in our communities here who are battling COVID, and we are especially mindful of Laura, who remains in the hospital with the hopes of maybe even being discharged today. We give thanks for the baptism of Ethan, son of Curtin Jill, happening today right after the service. We give thanks for the profession of faith across our campus at the Watershed community today of Riley and Angelina. Finally, Lord, today we pray for our veterans, worthy men and women who gave their best and some of them their lives when they were called upon to serve and protect. Because of their sacrifice, we celebrate the freedom that we have to come here and worship you without fear of persecution. We pray that you will bless them, preserve their memory, Lord, for their unselfish service to preserve our freedoms, our safety, our country's heritage from past generations to future generations as one nation under God. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Move in each person here, whether online, whether online or here this morning. We pray that each will set aside all that distracts, and there are many distractions. We ask that you empower Kent, filling him with the words that you wish for us to share, to hear. 
and then open our hearts and our minds to not only receive your good news, but more importantly, to live it out, sharing the gospel to those in need. Move us to be prayers on all occasions and for every situation as we abide in you, the living vine. As we release these prayers into your hands, we join together in the prayer that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, I think if yeah, I think the kids probably all scooted out already when I came up here. That's good. Um, just a reminder, if you care to uh, provide an offering this morning, there's little little receptacle things over by the doors, and you can also contribute online. Um, at this time, I'd like to to bring up Kent, um, and he's going to be he's a, a seminary student at Calvin, correct? And he is going to be bringing us the message this morning. morning. As uh, Pastor Mary introduced me, my name's Kent Sanders. I'm a seminary student over at Calvin and also a pastor of congregational care at Fuller Avenue CRC. Maybe uh, some of you folks are familiar with that church. If you're curious uh, a bit about me, just so we can get to know each other, I'm originally from Los Angeles, so I'm a bit uh, far from home here in West Michigan, but I have lived here for about uh, seven, eight years now. Uh, I came out to Calvin, maybe against my better judgment. I know I'm in uh, hope country here. But uh, anyways, I met my wife there, and we got married, and we just had our first child, Thomas, this past April. So when we're not uh, exhausted or trying to get some sleep, we're probably busy celebrating those uh, fun milestones. Anyways, that's a bit about me. I hope to maybe get to know some of you more after the service, and uh, let's dive into God's Word. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Daniel, chapter 8, verses 1 through 27. Daniel's vision of a ram and a goat. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam, in the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram. 
from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord, and it took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. And the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed and not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. The word of the Lord. I hope I can figure this out. There we go. King of the road. The unofficial game of truck drivers everywhere where the stakes are high and people play for keeps. It was a game that I learned the hard way. A few years ago, in the middle of my undergrad, I took a year off so I could pay back some of those student loans. 
And so I decided to get my commercial driver's license and enroll in a job with Schneider. You may recognize them if you've ever seen their giant, their giant orange trucks barreling down the highway. And so I signed up for Schneider and they said, okay, Kent, we'll send you down to uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, where you can do your training. I'd never been to Indiana, but I thought it was worth the experience. And so going down there for my training, they do what all great teachers do, and they thought to tell me a few scary stories about how I should take safety very important in this king of the road experience. The first story they told me was when you were unloading your trailer at the loading dock, make sure to always have two things on you, your cell phone and the lock of the trailer. As it turns out, uh, rival competitors had a habit of waiting for the driver to enter the back of the trailer, picking up that last box, and shutting the doors and locking them inside. Depending if the weather was hot or if it was cold and if you didn't have your cell phone, it doesn't take a, a stretch of the imagination to see how this could turn bad quick. Another story they told me, which is perhaps a little bit more nefarious, was when uh, truck drivers would stop at truck stops. A pretty, or a pretty innocent activity, you think, as you go inside to use the bathroom and maybe get some lunch. But as it turns out, these truck drivers who would uh, wait in the parking lot, they would wait for drivers to go inside and they would come out and they would unhitch the trailer from the tractor, trying to sabotage the competition, they would call it. And so if you came back outside and didn't do your safety check around the truck, you could be driving a mile or a half mile down the road and your trailer would come off. In the best case scenario, it might go off into a field or it might fall on the road. But oftentimes, in the worst case scenario, it would fall off head on into traffic, which the seriousness could be quite, uh, the consequences could be quite serious. Anyways, after a few months of playing this game, King of the Road, and a lot of sleepless nights and a few good pounds from those extra miles, I decided to hang up my hat and retire from King of the Road living to drive another day. And yet in our text today, we encounter a different kingdom, not one of competitive drivers or unhooking trailers, but we encounter our prophet Daniel. Daniel serving under King Belshazzar, and as the text tells us, was the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you're an Old Testament expert, or if you're interested in Old Testament storylines, you may remember that the Lord raised Nebuchadnezzar to trash Jerusalem a few decades earlier. And so Daniel in exile, Daniel serving under this Gentile king, receives this vision from the Lord. And while many of us here today may say Susa, with uh, maybe a bit of perplexion, not knowing where or what that means, Susa was a city in the ancient Near East that, as would have it, would be the future capital of the Persian Empire. And so as Daniel receives this vision from the Lord, he not only receives a special revelation, but he receives it in a special place, a political message and a future capital of political power. And it is in this, this future capital of the Persian Empire that Daniel receives this grotesque vision of goats and rams charging and attacking and ripping and fighting and biting and snapping horns. It's confusing, if not a bit shocking to us here today. And so amongst these fighting animals and their war for dominance and their war for power and authority and their jogging for the dominant position, the crux of our story or the crux of our text, the problem, 
greets us in verse 10, of which I'll read here very quickly. And referencing to the small horn that grows up, it says, It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. And at this point, you may be wondering what is going on. There's lots of symbolism and imagery and uh, sort of this apocalyptic revelation going on. And I think a brief fact that helps us if we look at this word apocalypse. This Greek word apocalypse, if we move aside associations with maybe Mayan calendars or giant mediators, maybe you've seen that show Preppers that always talks about uh, the apocalypse. But if we look at the word itself, Apocalypse simply means revelation or unveiling. And so in this Jewish apocalyptic literature here, Daniel receives a, uh, a revelation of heavenly secrets behind earthly realities. And so the problem for Daniel, the problem in our text this morning is that a small horn or a future leader will rise up against the Lord. And this long history of earthly leaders rising up to usurp the power of God, Daniel receives a vision of a particular leader that will rise up. For Daniel, the bad news goes to worse. Not only is he in exile in a foreign land, not only did Daniel survive the lion den, not only did Daniel see his friends get tossed into a furnace, but in this future political capital, this future political capital, Daniel receives a vision that there's going to be more persecution for God's people. Daniel receives a vision acknowledging the fact that earthly leaders will always rise up and try to usurp the power of God, as many as we know is the long story of history. And though for many of us here this morning, Daniel and this ancient Near Eastern city may seem pretty removed from us, it probably doesn't seem all that relevant. But I think this problem in our text of earthly leaders rising up to usurp the power of God is still a problem for us today. And I think a story that relates this quite interestingly is what we may call the social credit system. In 2018, I I came across a Business Insider article that detailed the rise of this social credit system in the Chinese Communist Party. And so, if you're familiar with the American credit system, of which I'm sure many of you are, based upon spending habits, your financial trustworthiness is measured. So in taking the same principle and applying it to each individual, China has developed a system of elaborate cameras placed on buildings and homes, inside subways and trains, that develops individual profiles of each person. And so what they like to do is they like to rate behavior if you're Um, jaywalking or not jaywalking, if you're smoking and non-smoking areas, if you're paying your bills on time, if you're uh, attending the temple. And based upon whether or not you follow these rules, you'll receive a rating from good to bad. And while if we try to maybe be sympathetic to how extreme it might feel, perhaps a government in their atheistic tendencies trying to usurp the power of God and at least promote virtue, Some of the consequences of having a low social credit score can be a denial of domestic travel, so refusal uh, to buy plane and train tickets. Uh, If you're caught jaywalking, they might put your face on the corner of the street to shame you for your rebellion against social norms. And perhaps even in the worst scenarios, they'll deny your kids entrance to private school. 
putting you on a blacklist, becoming a so-called social credit leper. And so the problem for us today that I think this social credit system exemplifies well is that existing governments seek to play God in the lives of people. Governments seek to meticulously monitor to promote their own virtue and absence of biblical principles. And these kingdoms, America included, other countries, they in one way or another explicitly challenge our allegiance to God. And so we may wonder today, who has ultimate authority? Yes, you may say the pastor is up there, he's saying good, he's saying God, that's all good and well. But what about on the day-to-day -day basis? What about when I feel like I'm obligated to obey the authority of my bills or my, my boss who wants me to perform well in my job? And when we're faced with trying to obey this type of authority, the allegiance or the question we have becomes a little bit more tangible. And so to seek to answer this question, and returning back to our text, we wonder what God is doing and how he answers this question for Daniel. As it turns out, this little horn in verse 10 that grows up, scholars would say is King Antiochus, who 400 years later, roughly after this prophecy, would be defeated in the Maccabean Revolt. And so what is God doing for Daniel this morning? God is affirming his cosmic authority, even in the face of service under a Gentile king, even in the, fa or the, the prospect of future uh, persecution. God affirms his authority that he knows which leaders will rise at the appointed time. Another interesting thing in our text that we may wrestle with is what to do with these numbers, these 2,300 mornings and evenings. And rather than to get into the dangerous territory of trying to figure out exactly what they mean or trying to predict the end of times, I think the important thing for us to remember this morning is that although the numbers may be ambiguous, they point to the reality that God has set divine limits on future suffering. Though we might not know when our suffering starts or when our suffering ends, we know that God has put a limit to it. And so what's the good news for us today? We may wonder in this question of who has ultimate authority, how we can know what ultimate authority looks like. What's the practical, pragmatic, tangible way we can know what good authority looks like? And human kingdoms, authority may come in the fact of ultra-surveillance, of governments wanting to show their authority and their power by meticulously managing each, each uh, behavior of a person. Oftentimes in history, human authority has been showed by the power to bring death, by the power to war and raise up armies. And yet God comes to us in this reality and he shows us what true and tangible authority looks like. For true authority not comes in the power to bring death, not in the authority to manage meticulously our behaviors in everyday life, but true authority comes in the person of Jesus Christ who had power over death itself. Jesus who became incarnate, lived, died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day. God has shown us in Jesus Christ who and what true authority looks like. And so still we may wonder, yes, of course, Jesus is king of kings. I've heard that many times, I've sang it in songs, but what exactly is Jesus doing in his authority 
in this kingdom. And if you're familiar with Reformed theology at all, you might be familiar with the three offices Jesus holds. Offices or positions or activities that Christ is involved with as King of Kings. These roles consist of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus as prophet comes to us as God, revealing God's message in the incarnation. Jesus as priest intercedes for us before God in the atonement. And Jesus as king is ruling over us. Jesus as king is the inbreaking of his kingdom. Jesus as king is showing us what it means to witness to his kingdom. And yet still on the day-to-day -day basis, what does this mean for us? How is this relevant? How am I going to walk away from here different? And I'd like to propose to us a teaching from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 31. Jesus in this office of king, Jesus in this position of king, as guarding each and every one of us, both here in this room and those who are watching over the internet, Jesus is guarding us by his word and spirit and is keeping us safe in the freedom he has won for us. Jesus as king is taking this active presence, guarding us in our salvation, guarding us in our comfort, guarding us in our assurance of what he has done for us in the cross. As Colossians chapter 2 tells us, Jesus, having canceled the debt described to us and the decrees that stood against us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so Christ as king assures us of our victory, assures us of our salvation. And yet in this salvation, in this comfort, we may wonder, what next? What do I do now? And although we should enjoy it, although we should take comfort in our salvation, we know that we are called to use this freedom and this assurance for something more. And I believe a person that exemplifies this activity very well is Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. Martin Luther King, who, in challenging the tyrannical tendencies of his own government, wanted to obey God's law over human law. Dr. King shows us what it's like to bring creative tension to governments who try to usurp the power of God. And Dr. Martin Luther King, who in following the message of Jesus, shows us how we can justly use our own authority and our own freedom that Jesus has won for us. Witnessing not to the governments of this world, but witnessing to our true heavenly King, Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. stand to sing, please. Mountain high, valley 
comes my way when I feel your hands of grace rest upon me sing desperate for you God sing humble at your feet I will lift these hands and praise I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done of your son this love came down and rescued me love came down and set me free I am yours I am forever yours mountain high valley low I sing out remind my soul that I am yours I am In a world that's desperate for hope, a world that's desperate for peace, for something, something that seems stable, remember 
as you leave this place today, for those of you out there as you head off to work this week, remember you are entering a mission field that God has designed just for you. It might be school, it might be work, it might be your neighbor, whatever it might be, you are entering a mission field. As children of the one true king, the promise and the security that we have, share a smile with someone who doesn't have one. Say a kind word to somebody you might have had a problem doing that with before. Step out of your comfort zone. We are entrusted to do that as a church of Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward each of you, toward all of you, and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Go in peace.